Hey everyone, welcome to the latest episode of Full Comment with me, Anthony Fury. Have you been to the movie theaters yet? Movie theaters closed for, well, many months in Canada throughout the pandemic. Although film production actually has been happening quite a lot all throughout the country, one of the first sectors to get back up and running. So are movies going to recover from COVID? In some sense, well, they never really lost steam when it comes to the filming of it, but when it comes to the showing of it on the big screen, oh boy, that was put on pause. How are things going to be changed for the foreseeable future? Are people just going to jump back in two feet forward? Or is there going to be things that are changed forever? Is this just accelerating trends that were already happening? What's going to go on? Both in terms of how we watch movies, but also in terms of the topics, the subjects. Is Hollywood becoming much too woke? Those Oscar ratings not doing so well these days. To break down all of these subjects, we're joined now by Mark Daniel, post-media entertainment writer. Hey, Mark, how's it going? Good, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well. It's uh, it's great to have you here on the show. And uh, to answer that question of have you been to the movies, I, I finally went. First time in a year and a half uh, here in Ontario. And uh, the kids and I, we, we had a good time. We checked out Space Jam. And uh, I'm, I'm, I'm glad the movie theater experience is back. So am I. Uh, actually, my wife and I went and saw Fast 9. Uh, and the movie was sold out with limited seating. So it was sold out with limited seating. But I think you're right, Anthony. I mean, after you know, 15 months uh, of being indoors, of not being in theaters, uh, to be back, it, it is quite something, and it is quite special um, because it is, you know, it's something that I look forward to, and I think a lot of other people across the country look forward to, and I'm glad that we're able to do it again. Wait, wait, so that was pretty much full. I know I think the rules are 50% capacity. When I went to the theater, uh, it was not very busy. And I've actually had a number of experiences where I've gone to things that are kind of back up. And I was originally worried, oh, the gym is only 50% capacity. Am I going to have to wait outside? And it's like, no, I've had, you know, it's been totally easy for me every time. And when we went to see Space Jam, there weren't many people there. There's like 10 people actually at the showing. And I thought maybe that was indicative of just, you know, broader trends, like not that many people are stepping into it. But you're saying you go to the new Fast and Furious movie and, and it was pretty much packed. The new Fast and Furious was packed. Now, for certain, you know, Hollywood had to pivot. Uh, some of the titles that have been released this year have been going uh, directly onto streaming as an add-on pay. Right. Uh, so through your, if you have a subscription to Disney Plus uh, and you want to see the new Black Widow, well, you had the option of, of subscribing to it through Disney Plus or seeing it in a theater. Um, for Space Jam, particularly, Space Jam also was available to people in home uh, as a separate purchase. Uh, and so, yeah, many families may have opted to see it that way in the comfort of their own home. Do you think that's going to stick around? And I, I remember like Hollywood uh, legends of old, it would be like, OK, the rule is, you know, this director or whatever says, I want the I want I don't want the the VHS or the DVD release to come out until like a year after it's in the theaters because I'm a cinema director like a you know a Marty Scorsese view or what have you but now you're saying like mm, well no now you get theater and streaming on kind of the same day do you think that's sticking around? Okay, Anthony, uh, Jungle Cruise uh, just came out recently last month and the movie made thirty million dollars on Disney Plus uh, through subscriptions and it made thirty five million dollars in the cinema. That's just North America alone. Uh, Black Widow, which came out earlier in July, that made uh, $60 million on Disney Plus worldwide. So, of course, everybody's wondering now, well, are people just going to pay extra to see these movies in their home on their 70-inch screens? Um, that's a big question mark. I think once 
everyone feels comfortable going back into a theater. Uh, and that means for family films as well, like Space Jam, uh, maybe the crowds will come back, but maybe audiences have decided, no, I'd rather just stay home and watch this movie for me to take my two kids or three kids, buy popcorn, pay for parking. You know, all of a sudden it becomes a hundred dollar plus a night out, whereas, you know, Disney Plus is $35 all in. Now, Mark, I remember a year ago, you were telling me not big concerns about COVID in the theaters, safe to go back. Uh, the head of Cineplex here in Canada saying, I think he said basically there have been zero cases of COVID-19 transmission attributed to movie theaters in Canada, really at all. Tell us about that. Yeah, I mean, they were, Cineplex was very much uh, right out front in terms of keeping theaters safe. Uh, they implemented all sorts of cleaning and safety measures inside their theaters. Uh, social distancing in their theaters uh, became commonplace. However, when the government moved to shut things down, you know, theaters were one of the things that had to close. Now that they're back, they've welcomed back. I want to say it's something like almost a million people have been going have gone back to the theaters uh, since they reopened in early July. Now. They won't sell out the entire theater right now. Right now, it's, it is limited capacity. Um, depending on the province you're in, depending on the city you're in, uh, that can range um, anywhere from 20 to 50%. But I think people want to come back and have those experiences. I really do. I mean, you want to see a movie like Black Widow and you want to experience it on a big screen. Um, the filmmakers involved with these movies, they oftentimes they're shooting them with IMAX cameras and they're developing the stunts and the action scenes to be seen on a big screen. Right. Now, if audiences decide, well, we'd rather stay home and watch this stuff at home, that's going to change the types of entertainment content and the product quality, I think, that you're seeing inside your home. Well, where do you think that filmgoers are going to sit in the general public? Like, like what what is going to be their attitude in the months moving ahead? I know people are probably a bit reticent now, but where is the sentiment going? I know right now I am just kind of sick of small screen viewing. The number of movies I've seen, everything just, you know, on that home screen. I don't have, have the giant home entertainment system just watching it on the regular TV screen. I was really glad to get into the movie theater and just have that experience. I think the big question is... I think for big movies, so we have Dune coming out. It's slated to come out in October. There's a new Matrix movie that's coming out this Christmas. Top Gun is due out in November. The new James Bond is due out in November. you got to see James Bond on the big screen. I mean, there's no other gotta choice. See. Yeah, exactly. And so I think for those movies, I think the audiences are going to remain intact. And I think also from a studio point of view, listen, they can make a lot more money screening a movie in on a big screen than they can at home for people who are streaming and doing in-home purchases because then something like piracy becomes a bigger issue as well we mm. have no way to quantify the number of people who watched pirated versions of black widow we can't but i imagine piracy played a huge factor in that movie's overall bottom line so i do think audiences are going to come back to those movies this year I think they'll be back next year and I don't think they're going to go away anytime soon. What I do wonder and worry about is what happens to those mid level dramas. Okay. The, the movies like Nomadland, which are great, fantastic moving experiences, 
but maybe people will feel I don't need to see that on a big screen. And so those are the movies that I think could be uh, in jeopardy. You know, one of the things that's been so interesting during the pandemic is how filming has actually largely continued almost entirely throughout. It, it's really been quite something. And I know a lot of people have complained. They've said, oh, you know, restaurants are shut down in Toronto, and yet I drive down the street and they're filming a movie scene in a restaurant. So, you know, you can do it if you put a camera in front of it. And in fact, I think a Hamilton hair salon even tried to get around some rules by by putting up a, putting up a camera in front of them while cutting hair and saying, this is a film shoot and so forth. And it, it didn't pass muster. Um, and, and I know you speak with a lot of film directors, you speak with a lot of movie stars uh, for interviews that are in the post media papers. Mark, what were they saying about the experience of, of just filming? Almost like I'm sure there were a few weeks, obviously, where things were shut down, but they got back to it way sooner than most sectors did. You know, yeah, I, I, I had a really unique experience uh, speaking to a few different actors, one of which Kelly Cuoco for The Flight Attendant, Brian Cranston for Your Honor. Um, those two come to mind. And they uh, were filming uh, TV projects, uh, as a matter of fact, but they, these were projects that started pre-pandemic and then had to be finished after the pandemic or in the midst of the pandemic. And so Hollywood had to pivot. What Hollywood did is they, intru they introduced rapid uh, testing. Uh, they really limited the amount of people on a film set. Uh, you know, in years past, I, along with uh, many other journalists, would be invited to go visit some of this, these big film sets as they were being shot. And... And, and all that went away. I haven't been on a film set since uh, February 2020. Um, uh, but, you know, listen, Hollywood couldn't stop because uh, there's only so many weekends in a year. Uh, you know, prime, uh, some of these weekends are, are considered prime real estate, prime viewing uh, for for moviegoers. And so I think that they just uh, they, they just closed things down and then also limited the amount of background actors that you would see. Uh, in any given scene, and um, and they were able to do it. But listen, Anthony, uh, some films like the the new Mission Impossible, I feel like has been shut down at least three or four times uh, due to COVID. Uh, the Batman movie with Robert Pattinson that's due out next year that was shut down due to uh, COVID. Uh, and all these shutdowns, I mean, they cost money, um, they cost time, uh, and they jeopardize uh, film release dates. You know, I heard in Ontario, they had a rule, I'm not sure if it's still in place or it was just sort of last year, that you needed to spend 10% of your budget on COVID uh, precautions and COVID testing. So it was like a lot, you know, a $10 million movie or, or, or miniseries or what have you, you're spending a million dollars on your COVID protocols and testing. And there were a couple projects, I knew a couple crew people who were saying they were being, they were being swabbed five times a week. So I mean, it was almost the most airtight operation film sets, you know, across Canada compared to anything else, almost, you know, comparable to long-term care homes or what have you. Yeah, I mean, they had the the Kevin Hart movie that was shot uh, here in Toronto uh, late last year, The Man from Toronto. I mean, that that went off without a hitch. Jason Momoa, uh, as you know, uh, him at, from his Aquaman uh, movie, uh, he was here for almost a full year. He was shooting Apple's Sea. And then he was also doing a movie for Netflix. Uh, and these movies here in Toronto, I mean, we didn't hear about any outbreaks or any delays due to uh, right. COVID-19. No, it was interesting to see that. And, and in fact, the crew person I was speaking to recently said that that big show that they were talking about and the you know, 60,000 tests all combined, only two people ever tested positive. I think one of them was the director. And then they had to go home and for 14 days, they tried to direct via Zoom, which must have been an absolutely very difficult experience. 
Oh, wow. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> Most definitely. <laughs> yeah, one wonders where things are headed, because now we're in this kind of in-between period where it's like, all right, what, you know, what are we doing? Some places have dropped protocols almost entirely, some provinces, some states, others still have them and so on. Uh, where do you think the film industry is headed when it comes to COVID? They're having the same conversations about the vaccine passports and so forth as I guess any other line of work is. So I think, you know, listen, Hollywood is is always forward thinking. Uh, they're thinking about movies that are coming about, coming out in 2024 and 2023 and 2025. So I think that they're going to proceed as if audiences are going to come back. Now, if you and I are talking a year from now and audiences haven't come back and we've seen some really big high profile failures, then I don't know if Hollywood would rethink some of these movies, rethink the budgets on some of these movies and rethink their strategy altogether. Um, I don't think that you can expect a big screen entertainment experience for the small screen. In other words, what right. I mean is I don't think Marvel is going to spend $250 million making its next Avengers movie if people are only going to be watching or largely going to be watching that from home. If audiences don't go to the theaters, they need to, they need to dial back their expectations, I think. Well, it's funny you should say that because Amazon Prime has released a couple uh, direct to Amazon videos that I know they financed. It was uh, No Remorse, I think, starring Michael B. Jordan. I saw that one. There's another one with Chris Pratt. I think Michael B. Jordan's a fantastic actor. But, you know, this movie and then the Chris Pratt one, I was kind of like, eh, you know, it's got a little bit of the 90s, like, you know, bit of the Steven Seagal direct-to-video vibe kind of thing. I mean, that's almost kind of what you're talking about here, is it, Mark? Well, it, though, in those, those two movies, specifically, Anthony, were supposed to come out to theaters. They were both mm. um, produced by Paramount, and they were both slated for theatrical release, and Paramount um, decided to sell them to Amazon. So in the case of the Pratt movie, they mm. sold it to Amazon for $200 million. So that oh. movie was supposed to come out, for, uh, was supposed to be on the big screen. It was actually supposed to come out last Christmas. So um, my criticisms are just kind of random, not connected <laughs> to that. I just don't like those movies then, apparently. So. <laughs> uh, and without remorse, again, that's another movie that was due out last year. And um, Amazon does have the rights to the Jack Ryan character. Um, they do have a series with John Krasinski starring as Jack Ryan. And so the without remorse is uh, also a Tom Clancy character. And right. so... Uh, you know, eventually you might see some sort of crossover there. So that, that it made a lot of sense for them to pick that up. And then in terms of Tomorrow War with Chris Pratt, well, Jeff Bezos is a, he's a huge sci-fi guy. So, you know, as you, or maybe you don't know, but he bought uh, The Expanse from the sci-fi network just mm. so he could keep making that TV show. <laughs> Speaking of spinoffs, I, I got to ask you, Mark, the Marvel world, how is that faring in terms of success with all of like every week there's a new show that comes out and you know i remember when i was a teenager you know in my early 20s and then like once every 18 months a marvel movie comes out and i would watch kind of all of them and now it's like there's just like a gazillion of them and i feel like they're kind of suffering a little bit for quality out there but i guess there's an audience for it i mean what do you make of what's happening with that, that uh very much kind of enjoying getting that you know everything they can out of that uh, brand identity so listen, I mean, Disney, Disney set up Disney Plus, Disney Plus was going to was always going to be a home for the vast repository of Disney content. And that's Disney, Marvel, Star Wars, Pixar, on and on and on. 
as well as Fox. However, part of Disney's plan was to start taking some of its properties. So in Star Wars, we had the Mandalorian. Uh, and then in Marvel, uh, they decided to start using some of their sort of smaller characters and expanding them out into TV, into short TV shows. Now, Anthony, these shows, you know, they, they operate almost as like, you know, elongated movies. Uh, right. You know, they're, 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 they're not self-contained episodes. Uh, every week there's a new episode and it picks up with last week's cliffhanger. So they've done, so far this year, they've done WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and then Loki. Um, what's cool about this is that all of these shows are impacting Marvel's greater cinematic plan that they have. Um, later this year, Marvel will release Eternals and they've got Shang-Chi. They just put Black Widow out in the theaters. Right. And so really Marvel is building Disney and Marvel are building out this interconnected world. Um, hmm. So for fans, of course, you know, they can experience the shows, then they get to go see the movies and all of it enriches and feeds in to one another. Now it, for fans, it's an amazing thing. I mean, I count myself among them. I love uh, these new shows. Um, if you're not into Marvel though, you're probably sick and tired of hearing about all these characters <laughs> <laughs> mark you mentioned hollywood being forward looking and i know what you meant by that from timeline schedules businesses and so forth also very forward looking in terms of being very progressive looking being very woke and so forth lots of concerns now that hollywood perhaps becoming a bit too much woke uh, disconnected from well, maybe not their audience entirely, but I don't know, 50% of their audience, something like that. You hear the complaint a lot uh, from, from some pockets of society. What do you make of the Hollywood woke conversation? You know what? At the end of the day, Anthony, I've always felt what Hollywood will do, uh, whatever the audience wants, whatever direction the audience wants to go in, wherever their pocketbooks are telling them to spend their money, is where Hollywood will go. So certainly, yes, there have been conversations about diversity on the screen uh, and behind the camera as well. And, and some of those are overdue, and some of them are some of those decisions are coming because it makes business sense for Hollywood. Um, I, I think that uh, any time that there's an opportunity for them to make money or to, or they see a, a, a segment of the population that's being under service where they could potentially make more money, they're gonna go out and they're gonna make uh, entertainment for that segment of the population. Well, I don't know that there's a couple examples where I wonder, is that actually what's at play? Uh, one big, big example is the television show, Last Man Standing, which I, I didn't even really know much about it here in Canada. It wasn't advertised or promoted much. And I found out it was like one of the number one sitcoms in the US. And I got a chuckle out of some of the episodes, a Tim Allen show, uh, his latest program. And then it was just kind of dropped like it was hot. Well, it was hot. It was really popular. And they asked Tim Allen on a podcast, why was this show cut? And he's like, I don't know. I feel no reason. You know, we were doing great. Ratings were great. I feel like it was just because there was such a sympathetic conservative leading man because he was always making jokes from the conservative side of the spectrum. So Tim Allen thought that that was kind of what was going on. I thought something similar with the Roseanne show. They rebooted Roseanne and then she made this you know, dumb tweet or what have you. And people were angrily, you know, tweeting back at her and so forth. And you know, maybe she shouldn't have made that tweet. And then they drop her from the show and you're like, okay, it's Roseanne. She made a stupid tweet. Did you need to actually cancel her from the show kind of in perpetuity? I'm looking at those examples and I'm like, Mark, was this really like a business decision here? 
So it's funny that you should the Roseanne the Rose the the Roseanne one was very curious because listen the show had been off the air for I don't know twenty something years or, right. or may, maybe not quite twenty but quite a long time so they decide okay we're well, we're gonna bring back Roseanne we're gonna bring back the Connors right. they bring back the family and then yes she makes this ill advised uh, social media post I think in her case though. Uh, she was slow to to be uh, to to own up uh, to to the error of doing that, um, and I think they looked at it and said maybe we can keep this going without Roseanne. We've got John Goodman, who's a celebrity in his own right, uh, and the rest of the cast who who people had known and loved over the years, and so they decided let's let's see let's try and get rid of her. Now if the if it didn't work, if audiences didn't tune in. Then the Connors would have been canceled, but in fact, audiences stuck around with that show. Uh, in terms of the Tim Allen one, the Tim Allen Last Man Standing, yes, again, very curious. Uh, that show originally, I believe, aired on ABC. ABC is owned by Disney, except Tim Allen does have a very uh, healthy and prosperous relationship with Disney uh, due to mm. him voicing Buzz Lightyear in the Toy Story right, franchise. Right. So I always felt that that one was again. Um, you know, you can say the ratings for something are good, but maybe uh, the bean counters upstairs feel well. The ratings aren't good enough. I mean, there's been other shows. Brooklyn Line, Brooklyn Nine Nine was on Fox, and then it was canceled and picked up by NBC. Um, Lucifer was another show uh, that was canceled and picked up by Netflix. Designated Survivor was on, I think, ABC, and then canceled and picked up again by Netflix. So. I mean, we have seen these things before. I know that Tim did think that potentially his conservative viewpoints might have had something to do with it. Um, but I'm not entirely sold on that argument. What about the Gina Carano situation? I had never really heard of this lady before. I guess I'd seen her fight once or twice. I know she was a, a prominent UFC fighter. Then she becomes uh, one of the leading characters in the, in the Star Wars series. And uh, great show. I loved it. She was fantastic on it. She had a lot of fans. And then she was dropped from the show for, and it's like, how do I really explain this? I guess she'd put ambiguous social media posts suggesting, oh, she might be a Trump supporter. She's not woke. She's not an SJW. You can kind of tell that. Maybe she's saying that Trump actually fairly won the election, Biden didn't win it and so forth, but she wasn't even saying it outright. And it was just kind of like this odd situation where I think people got a whiff that like, I don't think I like this lady. So let's kind of push her out of here. And I can't remember exactly the offending post that, that, that pushed her over the ledge, but a lot of people were really upset and there was calls, cancel your Disney Plus subscription uh, and so forth. My kids wouldn't let me do it, so I had to keep subscribed to it and so forth. But, uh, you know, lots of lots of questions and, and, and culture war around the Gina Carano situation. Yeah, Gina Carano is someone who had been outspoken on social media for a while. Um, the, thing that, the thing that sort of you know was i guess the the last straw with disney uh lucasfilm was a post in which she compared um you know the divided political climate in the united states to nazi germany uh and you know she went all of a sudden from being just the sort of fringe um celebrity to all of a sudden everyone there were there were petitions to to have her um removed from the star wars show the Mandalorian. Uh, there were petitions to have her action figure um, 
canceled. You know, Hasbro stopped selling Cara Dune figures. Uh, and Carano was supposed to be part of a, a spinoff, a Star Wars spinoff. Her her part in the spinoff was was canceled, and they announced that she will not be back for the Mandalorian season three. Um, it's one of those things where, uh, again, uh, what was it? Was it uh, something that was perhaps uh, she shouldn't have spoken about? Was it an analogy she shouldn't have made? Um, it's not for me to, to to really say on that, but um, but I think Disney felt that her character, Cara Dune, and and her specifically, uh, they could live without her as part of the Mandalorian and as part of the ongoing Star Wars franchise, and so they elected to just say, uh, we're moving on and and we're leaving her behind. Mark, I certainly hear from more conservative-minded folks that look, I'm I'm happy to watch you know, whoever act in this role, so long as they're talented and so forth. I just don't want to hear their politics. I don't want to hear them ranting at me. And that that is argued to be one of the reasons why Oscar ratings are just plummeting. And in recent years, uh, there have been more preachier or more politicized speeches that have taken place when people go up uh, to pick up the golden statue. I got in front of me ratings, I guess, 1998 uh, Academy Awards year of Titanic, uh, 57 million people. And then you get down to 2008 80th Oscars, uh, 72 million, uh, pardon me, 32 million people um, dropping down to 24 million last year in 2020. And then this year, 10.4 million people. And they go, well, it was COVID. And I was like, okay, I know it was COVID, but you know, also everybody's sitting at home so they could watch it. What's going on with the Oscars, Mark? You know, it's a combination of things. Anthony, I think really the, the, the reason that the Oscar ratings uh are dropping to to I feel like every year it's a record low is is some of the nominations and the films that they're choosing to sort of celebrate are ones that people aren't going to mm. and ones that the majority of the population don't see right. or uh, don't care about. Um, you know, a few years ago, they released um, Avengers Endgame. OK, right. biggest movie of all time. Uh, and that movie doesn't get nominated for Best Picture. Well, I mean, to me, I look at that and say, well, how is that possible? Here's a movie that's the culmination of 10 years of filmmaking from Marvel. It brings together 22 or 21 different uh, movie storylines. Uh, it's celebrated all over the world. It's the highest grossing movie of all time. And you're you're saying, well, that's not at least in the conversation for best picture. To me, that makes no sense. And then you look over the years, uh, previous to that, Avatar, which uh, I think is now actually, again, the, the highest grossing movie of all time. Avatar in 2009 lost to The Hurt Locker. Now, I, I, I say to you, Anthony, if you go up to anyone on the street and say, hey, what did you think of The Hurt Locker? 90% right. of the people aren't even going to remember that that movie came out. But everybody has seen Avatar, and Avatar changed the movie-going game with its use of 3D and its digital technology. So to me, again, that, there's a movie that should have won Best Picture. So I think really Hollywood is, is not in sync with, with audience uh, likes and, and, audience, and what audiences are into. So if you're home on a Sunday night, uh, are you going to watch them celebrate a bunch of movies that you didn't even watch? Probably not. 
I also feel like, I guess there's just been so many newcomers and such a democratization of the film industry, which is a great thing, but all these movies come out and I'm like, I've never heard of any of the people who are starring in it. And then if some of them do a really good job, they get nominated for an Oscar. I'm like, I have no clue who this person is. Yeah, I mean, I think that that certainly it's great to celebrate newcomers and it's great to celebrate new cinematic visionaries, certainly 100%. And, and I, I think some of the best films that come out every year are the ones that maybe not everyone is going to see. I just think, you know, when we look back at last year's nominees for Best Picture, uh, you, you, the, the majority of them were titles that not a lot of people saw or cared about. Right. Um, certainly the performances might have been great and, and deserved uh, consideration, but the Oscars and, the, and all award shows really need to sort of mirror what is in line with, with popular tastes more, and they're not doing that, and that, therefore people aren't watching. And I guess what a lot of people want out of the Oscars is, you know, us regular schmoes just want to see, you know, this this fantasy evening of, of you know, lifestyles of the rich and famous, beautiful people up there smiling their perfect smiles, being happy and, uh, you know, winning their awards. And we can be like, maybe that's us one day and kind of thing. And there's that it's almost like the original reality television kind of thing or something. Yeah, certainly. I mean, look, this year it was a different year. Yes, people were at home. People were watching uh, a lot of content at home. And I think when, you know, the Oscars rolled around, it was April. Usually I think the Oscars are in late, uh, late February. Um, you know, I think people were, I think people were, you know, the weather might've been a little nicer. People want to get outside a little more. And are you going to stay home and, and, and root for, for, you know, Mank, which was on Netflix, but I didn't hear a whole lot of right. people talking about that movie or, 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 or saying how great it was. And, I, and when I say people, I just mean, you know, the people that I meet, average people that I talk to. And what about the fact that there's just so many choices out there, so many streaming devices, you know, if you want to watch uh, this thing that's only on Apple TV, well, you got to get Apple TV and not everybody has all seven or eight or 20 of the things that are on offer. I always think back to when people are like, everybody watched Game of Thrones. And I'm like, well, I don't know. If you look at the numbers, not really that many people watch Game of Thrones. Everybody watched the series finale of MASH and everybody watched the season finale of Seinfeld. But now we're kind of out in, in all these different pockets out there of things we watch and view. And that's great. I have no problem with it. But it's kind of funny. Like, I'll find this here. You mentioned Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I actually only started watching that very recently, a few months ago. I, I barely heard about it. I watched it. I'm like, I love this show. Why didn't anybody say Fury? This is your thing. You got to watch this. But, you know, I just didn't actually hear it talked about all that much. You know, it, it, it is. I mean, listen, Anthony, I think people uh, in the industry looked at Netflix. They saw what Netflix was doing. And I think they saw that the future is you need to create content. You need to own the content that you create. And uh, and people will want to watch that content and enjoy that content. Except, OK, so you have Netflix. Then you have Disney with Disney+. Plus. And Disney Plus is only going to get bigger. I mean, your kids are never going to let you uh, cancel it because <laughs> it's going to just, it's going to have, yeah. it's the, the amount of pro original programming that it's going to, uh, that's going to be coming out of Disney Plus is just going to grow and grow and grow. And yes, you mentioned Apple TV Plus. Apple TV Plus is great. They've linked up with a lot of really, really 
uh, high profile uh, filmmakers and actors and actresses, and they're putting out some really great content as well. Paramount Plus is another service that not a lot of people are talking about, but Paramount Plus here in Canada is going to have, uh, you know, even more, uh, uh, he's going to have even more uh, content uh, services that people can take advantage of. So, uh, geez, and I probably forgot, there's HBO Max in the United States. HBO Max in the United States is putting out um, the uh, Warner Brothers movie titles this year. And uh, as well, they're going to have uh, their own shows, including a Sex in the City spinoff. So, um, mm. you know, it's, it's, it's just growing and growing and growing. You know, one thing I love about all these streaming devices, Mark, is the back catalog as well. I know we're talking about Disney Plus and my kids are watching the new stuff, but also we have a new ritual now where we sit down and we watch the Home Alone movies together at Christmas time because it's like, hey, this is what dad watched when he was a kid, a teenager. Now we can watch it. And, and I'm even going through the back catalogs. And I'm like, oh, yeah, this 80s movie I never got re- got around to seeing or this classic 90s movie. Let's sit down and, you know, watch the first speed flick. And it's just you no longer have to wait for them to like, you know, come on TV on a Sunday afternoon on TBS like used to be the case. Now, there you go. They're right there. Yeah. And especially with Disney Plus, you you also have the Fox catalog that's on there. So, right. you know, all the old diehard movies will be there and the Alien franchise, Ridley Scott's Alien movies. Um, you know, you could you could literally sit on your couch and never leave. Um, there's so much to watch uh, on all these different services. And then, of course, Netflix has some of the older movies as well. So so it's certainly um it's an embarrassment of riches. I can't even imagine what it would be like to be a child now. <laughs> One thing I do want to get your thoughts on, though, is like, yes, there's an embarrassment of riches, but sometimes if you want an older movie, if you said, I want to see this movie, you can't find it because the rental places, they don't exist anymore. You, you can't, re- I guess you can buy DVDs at, at Best Buy, but you know, it's kind of a challenge. Maybe the library has it to rent. couple examples, and I know this doesn't apply anymore because it's on Fox, but um, we were watching, rewatching the X-Files series on streaming, and then we had to see the X-Files movie because the X-Files movie happens in the middle of, of, of uh, the X-Files. And it was like, I couldn't find it. Eventually, I drove to another city to buy it in one of those two DVD combos, and it came with Planet of the Apes for like $7.99. But I had to like search around Ontario for it. I finally found it. Last week, I went to the AGO. They have an Andy Warhol exhibit. It reminded me I always wanted to see the movie I Shot Andy Warhol from like, what's it from, like 1995 or something. I was like, I got to see this movie. Always wanted to see it couldn't find it someone had posted it to youtube so i watched the whole thing on youtube just blown up on the screen finally saw the movie (laughs) but it was like and it wasn't on any streaming like i would have paid i would have given my credit card to this or that to to rent i wasn't trying to steal the movie but it's like some things yes you can find almost everything but the things you can't you can't yeah it it is it is really funny i mean listen here in toronto uh there are a handful of independent video stores that still exist right. if there's something you're really they're great uh, hungering for uh certainly in other cities across canada i'm sure there's a, a one or two remaining video stores that will happily search that title out and find it for you but you're right anthony um you know there's there's uh there's so many times where i think to myself i'd really like to see you know i wanted to see the the most recent Fast and the Furious movie with my with my nephew. So I looked on Netflix and it wasn't there. And it's a universal title, so it's not going to be on Disney Plus. Right. And uh, and and so we and it wasn't on Amazon Prime. So we were we were uh, we were SOL. We weren't able to watch uh, the the Fate of the Furious because I wanted to get him ready for Fast Nine. 
Um, so you're right. But <laughs> the beauty of our times is that you can just quickly move on to something else uh, <laughs> and save that movie for another day. Yeah, good point. Good point. Mark Daniel, before we go, you're always up on all the movies you got to see, all the great TV series. You speak to a lot of the celebrities yourself as they're coming into town or as they have a new release out there. Tell me, what's the latest news in terms of what are the things you got to see this summer? And, and tell me about some of the things the celebs have been telling you. Well, Anthony, we did a lot of coverage for James Gunn's new Suicide Squad. This is a new sort of rebooted Suicide Squad. It still features some of the actors and uh, characters that appeared in the last Suicide Squad, but there's some newer uh, villains. If you don't know the the, the, the storyline behind Suicide Squad, basically it's the crappiest supervillains uh, in the DC uh, Comics universe. Uh, they are all in prison. They are all allowed out of prison to complete a mission for a government agent known as Amanda Waller. Uh, that's played by Viola Davis. Uh, if they complete the mission, uh, that will most likely result in their death they get 10 years off their sentence. So this new movie uh, takes some of the crappiest supervillains uh, in DC Comics, sends them on this crazy mission uh, down to a fictional country in South America where they have to fight a giant alien starfish. Uh, it is just a wild, wild ride, Anthony. Um, it's so violent. It's not for kids. You'd have to leave your kids at home. Um, <laughs> and it's so bonkers uh, and so outrageous. And certainly comic book movies have sort of fallen, uh, followed a, uh, a certain uh, trend, uh, if you will. Um, they're never too violent. They're always uh, the type of movie that can appeal to just about anybody. But this movie is really outrageous, really over the top. It's a great time, though. So if you're not too squeamish, if you don't mind... Uh, the odd swear word here and there, and you don't mind lots of blood and guts, you're going to love this movie. Um, the other movie that we saw recently that we liked was was actually, uh, there's a new Matt Damon movie called Stillwater. It's just come out into theaters. Uh, Amanda Knox uh, made some headlines because she accused the movie of ripping off her life story. Oh. Um, but really, the movie is it loosely inspired by by her case, but really it focuses on uh, the family and and how the family would react, right? how the family deals with uh, their daughter who's in prison for for killing uh, her girlfriend. So it's it's a great drama. It's one of those. It's at the beginning. I talked to you and I said, well, what's going to happen to those mid level dramas? Uh, and this is an example of that type mm -hmm. of movie. Uh, it's not flashy. There's no stunts. Matt Damon doesn't play a Jason Bourne type hero. Um, he's just a father trying to uh, work to get his uh, imprisoned daughter uh, out of jail. Uh, it's a great movie. It really stuck with me uh, after the ending. Uh, and then, of course, you know, uh, there's a, the new Jungle Cruise with The Rock and Emily uh, Blunt. Uh, I'm a fan of that ride at Disneyland, uh, as are a lot of people. And, and that's a great, fun kind of uh, popcorn summer movie. It's a great blockbuster, and I think it's one that families can enjoy together. Mark Daniel, you're one of the most knowledgeable guys on all things movies. It has been a great conversation. Thank you, sir, for joining us today. Thank you, Anthony. Full Comment is a post-media podcast. I'm Anthony Fury. This episode was produced by Andre Pru, with theme music by Bryce Hall. Kevin Libin is the executive producer. 
You can subscribe to Full Comment on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, and we're now on Amazon Music. You can listen through the app or your Alexa-enabled devices. And you can help us by giving us a rating or a review and by telling your friends about us. Thanks for listening.